thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel, chapter 17. We are studying through the Gospel of John and have paused in a little series on prayer because John 17 is a prayer of Jesus. Jesus is praying out loud in the presence of his disciples and they're hearing him pray. He he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples and then he prays for actually you and me, those that would believe later. And we're in the section right now of Jesus praying for his disciples. And and it's, it's a beautiful thing to listen in to when people pray. One of the joys that I experienced raising my children when they were younger was praying with them. Because when they were praying, they were sharing their heart. They, they were praying in such simplicity. They didn't have a formal language. They were just talking to God. And a lot of the information that I would learn about my kids and a lot of the ways that I was able then to disciple my kids came from their prayer life. Because there would be times when they were praying where they'd forget I was even with them. They were so in tune with the Lord. They were so in tune of talking to God in their own age and what's on their heart and what was important to them that I would learn things about them in prayer. And that's what's happening with Jesus. We're learning things about Jesus and ourselves through his prayer life. It's one of the added advantages of praying. You may notice that when when I pray, when I pray before a Bible study or I'm involved in a prayer group, I'm not reading off of a script. I haven't typed that out before I came and have a specific perfect prayer that I'm going to pray. But there are often times in my prayer life or if I'm praying, you, you may hear something that might prompt you to pray for me. Because I'm just praying from the heart. I'm talking to God and leading us in prayer. And it's perfectly okay that while I'm praying, that you start praying. It's perfectly okay that while I'm speaking to the Father in heaven, that maybe you're prompted to speak to the Father in heaven. And you begin to say, you know, that, that what he just said just prompted me. I, I want to pray for someone right now. Or I want to intercede for someone. Because prayer is a beautiful thing. And we can pray and talk to God in our hearts, privately, And we can also pray and talk to God from our hearts publicly. And that's where Jesus is. So we get to listen in. And we get to learn what's on his heart right before he dies. Right before the cross. Remember he prayed to be glorified. And that's a a technical phrase that he uses that's referring to the glory that will come from his death. Which we don't often associate. Glory and loss at the same time. But indeed, God is going to be glorified and was glorified through the death of Jesus Christ. So pick up with me now. We are in verse 13 where we left off in John 17. But now I come to you, Jesus is praying, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray, verse 15, I do not pray that they should, you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In Jesus' prayer, he mentions this a second time in verse 15. In verse 15, he says, I do not, or excuse me, verse 14, I have given them your word. Now, those of you that have been studying with this, you remember back in verse 8, Jesus said something similar. 
He says, I've given them the words that you've given to me. Now, back in verse 8, if you turn back, maybe you have to turn your page or just look back at verse 8. Some of you did what I asked you to do. I said, circle that word words and write next to it the Greek word. And the Greek word you recall is the Greek word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. And we learned last time that that word literally means the spoken word. I have given you, so the words that were given to Jesus, he gave them at that moment. It, It has the idea that word does of the right word at the right time. And we looked at that in depth, the right word at the right time, the spoken word. So that Jesus, as he's walking and obeying and living in the spirit, what God gives him, what the father was giving him, he gave to his disciples right then there in that moment. And how often we can do the same thing with one another. God impresses something upon our hearts and associates it with a person. Man, we do well to give it to them. Text it to them, call them, show up at their front door, write them a letter that gets to them at just the right time. But the gift of encouragement and just coming alongside one another, the rhema word. Coming now to verse 14 when he says, I have given them your word. This is a different Greek word. So circle this word and write next to it somewhere, logos, L-O-G-O-S. Some people uh, pronounce that logos. Either way, that's the word logos. And this Greek word literally means the written word. The written word. So what Jesus is saying in his prayer, in effect, he's saying, Father, I've given them your written word, which in that day was the Old Testament, known as the law and the prophets. Or sometimes the first five books of the Bible, we refer to them as the Torah, the law. And the prophets. So Jesus did that. He gave them the written word, remember? He did, he did both in one example in the scriptures. And that was when he came into Nazareth. He went into the synagogue. He took the scroll, remember? He opened it up to the book of Isaiah. He read it. He gave to them the written word. He read it. And then he gave to them the teaching, the rhema word. He did it at the same time. And that was his life with the disciples. Which reminds us today that the primary tool in growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ is the word of God. You are not going to grow without the word of God. You aren't going to understand how to live in this world without the word of God. You're not going to know how to be a dad. You're not going to know how to be a mom. You're not going to know how to handle conflict. You're not going to know how to be a son. You're not going to know what God wants you to do with your money. You're not going to know how to handle difficult situations. You're not going to know what heaven's like. You're, you, you and I aren't going to know anything that relates to spiritual things without the word of God. It is his primary tool, both the written word of God and the spoken word, the, the word that is taught through the gifting of pastor and teacher. They're both important. The Spirit of God moving from us. I've given them your word. Notice the response to that is the world, verse 14, has hated them. And there's this constant tension. We see it in verse 13. I'm telling them things so they'll have joy. And it'll be deep joy inside of them. But then because of what I told them, the world's going to hate them. And there's a tension. There's that deep abiding joy that God gives us of knowing that we're right with God, that we can trust him, that he loves us, we love him. He sent his son to die for us. He's going to keep his promises. Oh, what joy. And at the same time, because of our, because of our learning and our sharing, the world's going to hate us. 
And that's a problem. Not only is the tension a problem in our lives, but I haven't met too many people. Now earlier, and even last night I was thinking, I I was about to say I haven't met anybody that likes to be hated. But that's actually not true. I have met a few people that wear it as a badge of honor that people hate them about the gospel. And they don't hate them just because that they're believers, but, but unfortunately they draw criticism to themselves because of their behavior and how they act. You know, the Bible says the gospel is offensive, but the Bible doesn't say Christians need to be offensive, you know? It's like, oh, they're persecuting me. They're ho- well, what happened? What'd you do? Well, I just went into work after Sunday morning, Pastor, and I took my Bible and I stood up on the desk and said, all of you sinners, repent! And they started throwing things at me and my boss yelled at me and he fired me and I just, everybody hates me. Dude, 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 dudes. Okay, too late to get your job back, but if you get a new job, don't do that again. Because we can be offensive. You know, we can deliver the message in a hurtful way. We can deliver the message that they see us and never hear us. And, and it's not a badge of honor to say that people hate us because of the gospel. Because here's the thing. If you and I are truly living out the discipleship life and we're a follower of Jesus, we're going to have so much of the word of God in us that the word of God is going to come from us. So if somebody asks us a question at work, we're going to tell them what the Bible says. And if someone's really going through a tough time, we're going to take them to the Bible. And because you are here in Bible study today and God speaks something to your heart, you're going to, if somebody asks you, how was your weekend? My weekend was great. I went to Bible study. Oh, Bible study. And they're not going to actually like the fact that you're sharing a contrary viewpoint with them. It's challenging them in their morality. It's challenging them in how they view the world or what we would refer to as their worldview. So you've got joy fulfilled. And then Jesus says, because of the word I spoke to them in their life, people are going to hate you. And then kind of pretend that you're listening to Jesus and you're feeling the conflict. And Jesus is talking about, I'm going to leave. I'm going back to heaven. And there's part of you when you think, people hating me, people coming down on me. Lord, Lord, I want to go with you. Take me with you. It would be so awesome to go with you right now. You're going. I want to go with you. I'll go wherever you go. And as you're thinking that, perhaps, Jesus then prays this in verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. What? You're leaving me? You're taking off and you're leaving me in this world? He says, yeah, I'm not praying that you take him out. Don't take him out, Father. Just protect them from the evil one. Keep them protected in this hostile world, hostile toward the gospel, hostile toward believers, even to the point of hatred. Don't take him out. Leave him here. And our heart's desire, I mean, some of you, I'm sure you've been praying about this. There's a part of you that wants to be delivered from this body of death. You know, your body's hurting and aching and making noises and arthritis is getting worse and the headaches won't go away. And for some of you, you've gotten a diagnosis that's very scary. They've used the word cancer. And, and you're just like, man, I, I just, I, I just want to go. Some of you have loved ones that are in heaven and your heart is like, man, I would just love to be reunited with those that have died before me. I want to go And you hear Jesus praying, no, I'm not praying that you take them out. I want them to stay. I want them to stay. And that's God's will for the disciples then and for us now. It's God's will that we are here now on the earth. It actually answers so many questions in our lives. 
You're wondering today, why do I live where I live? Because God has put you there. Why do I work where I work? Because God has put you there. Why am I in the family? My family is as dysfunctional as it might be. Why am I in this family? God put you here, put you there. He, he hasn't taken you home yet. He hasn't fulfilled his will for your life yet. He's not done with you yet. And you say, Ed, how can you speak with such authority? How can you say that? And I would just propose to you very simply, God is not done with you yet because you're still here. In answer to the prayer of Jesus, you're still here. God wants you to be in this world as hard and as difficult and as dark and as tasteless as it is sometimes. God has you here. It's not God's heart. And I see this in a small segment of the church. I haven't heard too much about it lately, but I do remember reading in previous years of this movement within the church, the movement of believers. There's this strict separatism This sense of, you know, what we need to do, and here's how it goes. It goes something like this. Since, quote, we, end quote, are the, quote, pure, end quote, Christians, what we need to do is we need to get all the pure Christians and we need to get out of here, go buy a ranch or a big house in the mountains, put a big fence around us, collect as much food as we can, as much guns as we can, and as much butter. I don't know why butter, but butter's always a part of it. And let's go live out in isolation, separating ourselves from the world, and wait for the return of the Lord. It'll be so glorious. It'll be like a taste of heaven on earth. And we will just stay away and keep our kids away, and let's just live in isolation. That is not the will of God for your life. From this one verse. God's will for your life and mine is not to live in such strict separation. Now, I have to say, for balance, there is truth in the scriptures where the Bible speaks of us to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That is a truth. But not the idea that you leave every unbeliever and you leave everyone away and you just have this little perfect, in your mind, perfect setting. It, not only is it, I can, I can dispute that and show you from the scriptures that's not the will of God, but let me tell you this. Just by practical experience, it will not work. It will not work. It will not be a taste of heaven that you thought. You will run out of food in those big buckets eventually. It will not be what you think it will be. And for one reason and one reason only, you'll be there. And you're not a perfect believer, are you? You'll be there. I'll be there. If we invited me, I'd say, sure, let's go live in the mountains. Eventually, we're going to disagree. Eventually, something's going to happen. You're going to take a bigger piece of butter than I think you should at dinner, and I'm going to be mad at you, and then I'm going to go, what's up with this believer? You know, as much as, as much pain and sorrow that we feel in the world, I have to tell you this. Some of the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life has come not from unbelievers. It's come from people that proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And we have to be careful walking in love. God is not, God's will for our lives is not separation. God's will for our lives is infiltration. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. And Jesus has left us here for a reason. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. Rather than isolation, God wants us to be about infiltration. And in another place in the Bible, Jesus describes us in the world. He uses two things to describe us. He says that we as believers are both salt and light. And that tells us a lot about 
the world that we live in and what our responsibility is as followers of Jesus. Salt, it's a great picture. We all understand salt. Now, understand in the first century, in the time of Jesus, the primary use of salt was for preservation, preservation. They would rub it into the meat, and it would be like our modern-day refrigeration. It would make things last a little bit longer. Think about it in our, in our world today, the preserving influence of the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, just in one issue and one issue alone. Who on the planet Earth today, around the world, not just the United States, but around the world, who are the primary people that are standing up for life? In issues of life and death, who are the ones saying, choose life? Who are the ones that are backing up and trying to protect babies in the womb? Who's saying yes to life and no to death and no to abortion? And then fast forward to those that are older or those that might have a mental defect or those that might have a brain injury. And as people are looking at them and saying, well, they don't bring much value to society and they're not as important to society and they might be a drain on society and let's invent something, let's euthanize them like we do animals and people are standing up and saying no choose life who 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 are those that are standing up for that people that follow jesus christ that's the primary group that are preserving life in the world today that's why the rapture of the church is going to be a cataclysmic event where a an entire preserving influence is going to be removed from the earth and all hell is going to break loose in the seven-year tribulation period And the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and people are going to follow him. He's going to lie to people for three and a half years. It's it's because the preserving influence of the Holy Spirit in the church. Just that one thing. But salt is also a flavor additive. It adds flavor. Can can you imagine? Well, Well, on my way to the retreat on Friday, I had a long day. We got here early and serving the pastors and then I had meetings afterward and, and took a missionary out to see, you know, minister to him. And, and, and it was a long day. So finally, I finally left here about three o'clock, four o'clock to drive down to Woodland Park and join the kids because I had a session at seven o'clock. So I was going to get there in time for dinner. And so I'm driving around on I-25 and I don't know when it was, but at some point I started thinking, I wonder what they're feeding the kids tonight. Because it's camp and, uh, you know, I'm not sure what they're feeding the kids. And I got, this, I got this desire to stop at McDonald's on the way to the camp. Now, I don't eat at McDonald's very often. And I didn't want anything but one thing. So I walked in there. I parked. I walked in there. I didn't see the news all day. And they had a news thing up there. So I'm catching up a little bit what's going on. And I go up to the counter and I say, I would like a large order of french fries. That's all I ate for dinner Friday night. I haven't had them in forever. And boy, were they good. (laughs) And you know McDonald's french fries. When they make them and they're nice and golden brown and they put them in the thing filled with salt, they take this huge thing and they just... And I don't tell them how much to put. I don't jump over the counter and say, no, no, no. I want my fries bland and nasty. Hold the salt. Now, it's really pretty much besides breakfast, the only thing I ate. So just do whatever you want with the salt and bring those babies to me. So they put them on the thing and they give them to me and I ordered them to stay and not to go. And I've got the tray there. And as the gal's walking away, I go, wait, 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 wait. And if, I didn't use these words, but this is effectively what I was saying to her. 
I'm looking at the fries, I'm liking them, and I'm, what I'm saying is, can I have some red-colored salt for my fries? You know what red-colored liquid salt is? Ketchup. So I'm like, hey, I want my fries. You be as generous with the salt. It's free, so put as generous with the salt as you can, and then give me three packets of ketchup on top of that because that's how they taste good. There was so much salt on those fries that I had salt left over on my fingers. Now, I wasn't that desperate for them to lick my fingers. I wiped them off, but, I mean, can you imagine McDonald's fries without salt? No way. And I know you guys might be on a low-sodium diet right now, but you can have them. Just don't tell your doctor. Just every once in a while. And so I finished my fries and I went down to the camp and they had some great food for the kids. They were all happy. And I mean, salt is, salt has its place. And you as the salt of the earth, you have your place, church. You have your place. Not only salt, but light. Light implies that that we're living in a dark world. And aren't we living in a dark world? It's so difficult and so hard. But if we don't look at the world with the eyes of Jesus, we're going to miss it. I think of watching the news, and, and every once in a while, a city will take precedence in the crime reporting on the news. And usually it's one of two cities that get all the crime attention. It's either Denver or Aurora. And if you're not careful, you'll start to look at the news and allow the news to shade your eyes and go, oh, I can't believe it. How horrible Denver is. How horrible Aurora is. We got to go. I hate the crime. But, but see, you don't understand a few things. First of all, when you see crime happening in your city, pray. Pray for the victims. Pray for the cops. Pray for those, the, the 911 call that went in, for the operator, for the paramedic that has to carry these burdens. I mean, you got to pray. It's not just about a city. See, the news doesn't have enough time to report all the crime in Littleton. And the news doesn't have enough time to report all the crime in Cherry Hills or out in Castle Rock or, or Castle Pines or any of the other places. Look, the world is dark, period. The world is dark. And we are the light of the earth. Our hearts should be breaking, and it should be moving us to be that light. I'm reading a book right now. It started reminding me about my neighborhood, my neighborhood, my neighbors. Because I'm reading a book. You know, the last three and a half years, I've been reading everything I possibly can on pain, on sorrow, on grief, on difficulty. I want to learn every angle, both, you know, primarily from my own heart, but also to minister the gospel to the hurting, like Pastor Greg Laurie once said, man, if you preach the gospel to the hurting, you'll always have an audience. And it's true. And so I read everything. And I'll pick up a book. Somebody will recommend it. I'll read it in a couple days. I'm soaking it in. I'm reading a book right now by a young woman who is uh, teaching. the, the The purpose of the book is just to be real in your prayer life before the Lord. You know, to lament to, to ask God why. Like I was reading Habakkuk this morning, and Habakkuk says, why, Lord? How long? Why aren't you listening? Why do the violent seem to be getting everything? Why is, injust, why is injustice running? I mean, Habakkuk's just totally straight up telling God what's on his heart. And that's the purpose of this book, the lament, to be honest with God in prayer. And I believe that. We should be honest with God. Two-thirds of the Psalms are lamenting. David's heart before the Lord. And most of them end in a good time, but man, come to the Lord. The Bible says, casting your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. But here's the backdrop, and the reason I'm sharing with you today. The backdrop is this young woman's life. 
She was raised in a home with a mentally ill father. And his mental illness, whatever it was, she doesn't mention, caused him to get into a lot of trouble with crime. He's in and out of jail and doing horrible things to his wife. And she, she records a couple times where she had to go to court and testify against her mom or testify against her dad in some divorce proceeding how she had to visit her dad in prison because the latest mental outbreak caused him to uh, get in trouble again and get sentenced for more years in prison. She mentions in her life how his mental illness, her own daddy, her own daddy, his mental illness uh, caused him later on in life to get out of prison and stalk her, literally, to harm and hurt his own daughter. And it's caused her to learn more about the things of the Lord. And... But it's a dark, that's a dark life. That's sin on your doorstep. And I know some of us might be thinking, well, you know, if her dad was struggling, she she had her mom, at least she had her mom. Well, indeed she did have a mom. But her mom lived a life that basically hated her guts. And at a very young age, her mom would kick her out of the house. And for her teenage high school years, the last part of her high school, she was living with friends uh, trying to find a place to stay and, and felt so, <clears throat> so embarrassed that she wasn't telling people what was going on in her family. People didn't know about that mentally ill father and people didn't know about this mean-spirited, angry mom that didn't love. Just the, the fulfillment of what the Bible says. I'm reading her story. It's like, even if my mother and father forsake me, Lord, you won't forsake me. But she had to live it. And I wonder, I wonder if that's happening in the house next door to you, church, The darkness is on your street. I dare say it may even be in your own family. But it's in your own. Maybe that's why your boss is so angry. It's how his mom and dad treated him. Maybe that's why your coworker is so bitter. It's not just them being separated from God. It's not just that. But see, we forget that we're the salt and we're the light. And where darkness is, the presence of the Lord brings light and hope. And you work where you work because they need the light of the gospel. And you live where you live because your neighbors, I mean, uh, the snow, you know what I feel about snow. Not a big fan of it, if you didn't know. And everybody says, why'd you move to Colorado? Because God told me to, all right? (laughs) That's just the answer for that question forever. But there's benefits of snow, I guess. Uh, You know, my, my, my son Eddie moved out and got married, and then my other son Josh went to Bible college. I bought a snowblower. And of course, to which my kids said, why didn't you get that for me when we lived here? Because I had you, that's why. All right, I don't have you anymore. And so I got the snowblower. I mean, there's a brother in the church that keeps it all tuned up for me and changes the oil. I didn't even know you needed to change the oil, that kind of thing. So he takes it, and I got it in my garage, pointing out everything. I've, I've perfected this over the years. And the recent snowstorm uh, got out. Everybody's at work. I was at home. And, and I go out, and I do the whole sidewalk on our, tr- on our block. And I do my, uh, my stuff that I need to do. And then my next-door neighbor's wife is outside. And uh, we've been friends with them for a long time and haven't really talked to them lately. And, and it was a chance opportunity. I went over and helped her finish what she was doing. We had a short conversation, but I was reminded that God put me on that block for them. That's why I live there. It wasn't us choosing a house or it wasn't the right price. It wasn't, it wasn't any of that. 
I was there for them. I'm there for them. Is there there also for us at times? You're the salt and the light. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. The call of God is infiltration, not isolation. So when Jesus prays, I don't pray that you should take them out of the world. That's on purpose. And that prayer is being answered right now. We are not taken out of the world on purpose. We are here to fulfill the will of God for our lives. And we need to look around the world that we have, the world that we're in, and be careful not to complain, be careful not to be so hypercritical, and ask the Lord how he wants us to affect this culture, how he wants us to to minister to our neighbors or our friends, or how to express the love of Jesus Christ. Let Let me give you a little assignment, if I will. You may be uncomfortable right now going to your next door neighbor. You don't know them. You're going to knock on the door and it's, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of weird. I don't think I can do that yet. Let, let me give you, because the, the world, this world in which we live, when I say world, I mean the world system. Man, it, it is dying for love. It is dying. I know the world has messages. You know, if you watch movies enough, you think that love is like so romantic and syrupy. So opposite of what the Bible teaches. And you listen to music long enough, you think, wow, you know, I, I, th- this, is, this is the way the world is. It's just this, and it's so cool here, and it's so wonderful here. And, and so what, what happens? What happens is we say, well, you know, Ed, I, I just won't listen to the world's music anymore. I just won't, I won't do that. And I say, that's great. If you want to limit that, that's wonderful. But you will never get out from under the influence of the world in your life. And you will never get away from the music of this world. Ever, never, never. You can never shut that switch off. You want to know why? Because if you got to shop for anything, you got to go to King Super, Safeway, Walmart, wherever you shop, Costco, when you walk in, eventually it's going to hit you that music is playing above you. And right now, it's probably some dumb song from the 80s playing. Now, you might like 80s music. I don't particularly like 80s music at all. And I'll tell you why. It's not just because it sounds horrible. That's not the only reason. It's because most of the sin and horrific things I did in life was associated to some stupid song in the 80s. The back, listen, sin always has background music. Sin always has background music. The world has music that influences behavior. I mean, companies like uh, Kroger and Safeway, they hire people to do research on finding the right songs with the right tempo and the right thing so that it will motivate you to buy more. And the reason 80s music is playing right now is because most of the people with the, with the largest amount of money right now are people that grew up in the 80s. And it's going to change over time, and it's going to move on. You notice they never play country music because that doesn't, that's going to make you want to shop. It's going to make you want to run away. <laughs> I was thinking first service, I said, I was telling first service, I think, you know, the, the background music of hell is going to be country music. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to make any enemies. I don't want to make any enemies here. I'm just messing around, just messing around. It doesn't matter. One more thing to disagree on. Don't worry about it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sin always has background music, guys. And, and while we are wise to keep what comes through our eye gate and our ear gate for sure, we have to remember that, that the Lord has us in this world, not to be influenced by this world, but to influence the world. 
to bring the light of the gospel into the world. So here's an assignment. If you're wondering, you know, you're just thinking, I don't know how to serve people and I just don't see the opportunities. I'm gonna give you two opportunities at the bare minimum that if you choose to do this, God will use you immediately. When you drive home today, take note, just take note of where the hospitals are. You probably already know where the hospitals are on your way home, um, but take note where they are. And if you decide this week to go down to a hospital and walk into the emergency room, into the little waiting area there, this is, nobody's going to stop you from doing this. Nobody's going to stand at the door and tell you not to come in. Nobody's going to say, get out of here unless you're sick. They will let you in, into the ER, into the waiting room. If you will spend 30 seconds observing people there, there will be plenty of people to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to in that room. Even if you're too scared to say, oh, I can go up to a stranger, then just find someone where their face says, I am in anguish and I am afraid. Somebody I love is in that room behind that wall. Their face says it all. And just sit across from them and pray for them. Your heart will soften. Or on your way home, take note of all the convalescent homes and assisted living places that they're building. Some really beautiful ones I've noticed. My mom was in an assisted living home. We put her there for a couple of months when she was severely ill. And some of you recall, I had to fly back a few times and visit her and take care of her affairs and, and see if we couldn't bring her out here to live with us, which never really uh, came to pass. But these assisted living homes, these convalescent homes, um, are filled with people that could really use your encouragement, that could really use your love, that could really use you. I remember at the assisted living, in my, when, I, when I went to visit my mom, um, they're a little bit more healthy there. Um, they're not as sick there. So they're walking laps around the room there. And some have their walkers and some had their, uh, my mom had her cane and some were in wheelchairs. And, and they're just all over. As a matter of fact, the one that my mom lived in, there were five people outside before I even walked in the door that I could talk to and meet and, hey, how you doing? Can I go grab you something? Get my mom something to eat? Can I go grab? I mean, it was a beautiful thing just to bring some love and to hope to someone because I'm sure some of them can never get any visits. I'm sure some of them, their parents, like, like me, I lived, I lived out of state, so I couldn't visit my mom every week. I couldn't visit my mom every day. And so to come in, and I was, I was having all kinds of great conversations with them, just talking about life, asking if they had a relationship with Jesus Christ, getting to know their family, bringing the love of Jesus Christ into someone's home. You don't know how. Like if you're looking for things to do, there are plenty of things to do to impact this city. And those are two things right away. That if you, take, if you choose to take me up on them, I cannot wait to read your email. I cannot wait to read what God did through your life. I cannot wait of what person you met and how much love you gave to them and how you bought them. You bought yourself those large fries, but you decided to give them away. And you just bless somebody. The city is waiting for the gospel. They don't know that. It's not like they're putting it out on, on Facebook. I'm waiting for the gospel to come to my house. But Jesus said this, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. That ratio is the same today as it was in Jesus' day. The harvest is huge and ready. Go get it. And very few people ever rise to that, to that call. Very few people ever get up and say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm going to go to that convalescent home. I'm going to go to that hospital. I'm, I'm going to go to that assisted living I'm going to go to that police station and bless the officer. I'm going to go to that fire station and just tell them thank you. Instead of complaining about their sirens all the time, they're going to save people's lives. Go thank them. 
that when you call 911, they're going to come for you. But thank them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As salt and light on the earth. Notice, as we close here, notice. He says in verse 16, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. Yes, amen. God has sent us into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Three times Jesus uses a word translated sanctified here that we don't use very often. I don't really use that word at all unless I'm reading the Bible. So let me give you another definition for it. Sanctified is a Bible word that means to be set apart for a special use. Set apart for a special use. It's like at work. There's a lot of people that work at where you work, but you're set apart for your job. You have your job. That's why you're there. There's 100 people that work at your work, but you do your job. That's why you're there. You're set apart for a special use. And what does Jesus say? I'm setting them apart by the truth. Where's the truth found? But in the word of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the embodiment of truth, and he's revealed to us through the scriptures. The truth. The truth. The world needs to hear the truth. Not necessarily proclaiming it from the top of the roof here with a megaphone, but in our lives. They need to hear the truth. They need to see the truth. They need to feel the truth. God uses emotions. I was ministering to a young lady just after first service that God apprehended her heart through her emotions. See, being saved isn't just an emotional thing, but don't think for a minute that it doesn't involve the emotions. God created us with emotions. And the people of our world need to feel the weight of their sin. They need to feel the hope of the gospel and know it to be true by the sanctifying power of God's truth. What does that mean? That means you and I must be men and women of the Bible. We must. There is no option. You must learn how to be a dad by the word of God, how to be a mom, how to be a grandma, how to be a friend, how to be a coworker. You need to know how to be a boss, how to submit. You need to know how to handle conflict. You need to know how to live in life. And the way that you do that, the way you're set apart for the special use of God is you must know the word of God. But here's the thing. When they survey people, when they go out and asking people, most people don't read the Bible. And that includes this room most people don't read the Bible. They either rely on me to read it for you or you just don't read it at all. And I know before technology, paper Bibles were really important. And I mean, they still are. Um, I primarily use one, but, but, but I think about it. I'm sure many of you in your home, you have four, five, six Bibles. You got a Bible over here. You got a Bible over there. There's three up on the shelf. There's one under the desk. There's one in my office. There's one in the back seat. Sometimes when I'm going, uh, like, you know, walking through a parking lot, I'll see a Bible back in the back window and it's all messed up and it's all discolored, which pretty much tells me it's been there for a while. And we all have Bibles. We all have Bibles, but we're not reading them. We're not just simply opening up and letting the Holy Spirit sanctify us by the truth. We're not going to the Bible when we have problems. We're going to people. Instead of going to the Word of God, the the Bible will answer things. It'll it'll just speak to us when we go to the Bible. And and so in order for us to be really used, you, you have to be men and women of the Bible. I was reading something recently that was an interesting quote. Uh, and the, the guy said something like this. 
the existence of Facebook and Twitter will be evidence at the judgment seat of God that we all had the time. And some of you are going, well, Ed, I don't use Facebook or Twitter. I'm an Instagrammer. Whatever it is, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you do. You could be reading magazines. You could be watching movies. There's enough time for us to be men and women of the word. There's enough time for us to wash our wives with the water of the word. There's enough time for us to disciple our kids. There's enough time, and may the Lord use us to be set apart in a world that needs to hear, see, and feel the gospel the hope of salvation. That's why Jesus prayed that. Not praying you take him out. You go, no, take me out, Lord. I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Take me out. And the answer from heaven, no, I know you're ready. But like Paul said, to depart and be with you is is glorious. That's what he wanted to do. But to be left here is more needful. And God is not done with you yet. Like he told the captives through the prophet Jeremiah, He said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. They're good and not evil. I I have for you a plan and a purpose and a hope. And what is true in the character of God for the nation in captivity is true of the character of God for those of us relating to him through the new covenant. He has a plan and a purpose for you and me, and he's going to work it out in our lives. It involves pain and difficulty. It involves, you know, brokenness and broken dreams. But God is going to keep his word and he's going to leave us until he's done with us. And when he's done with us, he's going to take us home. And what a glorious day that will be, my friends. But until then, we serve him and we give ourselves to him. So God, we just ask as we um, close up our hearts today and and close up our, you know, our time of Bible study that... um, We're the salt and light, and there's a lot of hurting people, a lot of difficult things, a lot of turmoil in our world right now, a lot of political things, a lot of protesting, a a lot of people feeling like they're not heard, and a lot of people not knowing, you know, uh, so much we get get caught up because this world is all there is, and if that's all you think, then it's kind of hopeless when things don't go your way, and I just pray for the the difficulties in in our world today, I pray for the division in our churches, and pray for the discord, the Paul and Barnabases of life. I pray for my own uh, issues, Lord, that you know before you that, that I wish would be resolved, Lord. I just pray that you would work and, and you would overcome and, and that you would make yourself known and be used in a mighty way, Lord. And I pray that into our church family. They have their own issues. We all walk around with stuff. And we ask for you to touch it, for you to minister. And while we wait on you or while we're watching, uh, you know, like Habakkuk maybe, uh, we just trust you, Lord. We love you. We owe you our lives. We ask you to work on our behalf that you might be glorified, that you might receive all the attention, that you might be the one that infiltrates this world. You sent your son to infiltrate this world. And now, according to Jesus, we're sent into the world. And I'm grateful for that because I was brought to a saving knowledge in you because somebody was sent to me in the world. So go before us, God, as we head out today. Move by the power of your Holy Spirit. Draw people to yourself right now, God. Reveal yourself in a fresh new way. Give us the privilege of seeing you work with our very own eyes and hearing it with our ears today. We want to see lives changed in the context of the gospel. 
We want to see what you want to accomplish. We want to be a part of it. So if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I invite you to repent and turn away from your sins today. If that's you, we invite you to receive the forgiveness of your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. That in a very real way, we were sent into the world for you and this appointment. That if today you acknowledge your sin before God and repent of it, turn away from it, renounce it, not desire it in your life anymore, and express your belief in the Son of God who lived, died, and rose again for you. If that's you, I want to invite you to receive the free gift of salvation today. That today you would accept God's will for your life and submit yourself to the God that loves you and demonstrated that love on the cross. So if that's you, you'd say, Ed, you're speaking to me right now. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. That today would be the day that God and you are reconciled. Today's the day that the burden of guilt in a very real way is removed from your shoulders. Today is the day where you denounce the sin in your life that's wrecking your life and wrecking your family's life. One of the ways that the Lord deals with dysfunction in a family is by saving someone in that family and bringing love and mercy and grace into a very difficult situation. And so today is that day for you. If that's you, respond. Don't be afraid. It's a glorious thing, actually, to leave here with a a sense of assurance that God loves you. Send his son, Jesus Christ, for you. Anyone here? While we're waiting for you, I know those of you on the radio, I can't see you, so we can't really acknowledge you listening on the radio, but God sees you. Same with you guys on the live stream. I know we're having issues with it now, but God got fixed it just for you. Uh, and, and now you're hearing the gospel and watching on television maybe. But today's the day of salvation, and you can, you can ask him to forgive you. You could say, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me and die for me. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. You know, you can't really even say those words and mean them unless God's done a work in you, drawn you to himself. And so, God, as we end our time together and we head off on whatever's planned and whatever's ahead for us today, may you go with us and may we go with you. May we leave with your love ever on our minds, ever on our hearts. And I pray for those that are going to take a challenge this week. And they're going to walk into a hospital room for five, ten minutes into a waiting room and they're just going to pray for people. They're going to walk into one of those assisted living centers right next to their house and they're just going to walk in and the first person they say, just say, hello, it's good to see you today. What's your name? And just bring love. Some have the boldness to go to their next door neighbor, just knock on the door, see if there's any darkness there, just kind of checking in, just being friends, loving on people and being available. God, make us your church in a deeper way. Let us be known for who we love. Let us be known, God, for our love for one another. Protect us from being known of what we're against and always putting this down and putting that down and nobody's doing it right. But rather, walking in love, walking in mercy, walking in grace. May we be that, growing more and more in Jesus' name. Amen.
We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.